Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use, and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos, and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. On the 15th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we take a walk along the easiest ridgeway in the Peak District. We discover the influences of a photographer of the Home Firth Moors. We find out what Exmoor has to offer and... They're also referred to as bullies by botanists because they outcompete some of our domestic species. Tom Heap tells us about the growth of nettles and brambles in our countryside. Hello and welcome to the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guy for the next half an hour of the podcast. Well, it's a year today that we launch these very podcasts and I can remember the team here worrying about whether we'd be able to find enough material to fill 30 minutes every month. It turns out, of course, very often we have too much material to fit into a monthly podcast so we make additional editions and that's why we're on edition 15 now and not edition 12. And we start this edition in the Peak District, with a walk up the summit of the Shivering Mountain. I'm talking, of course, of Mam Tor, the 517 metres and 1,696 feet hill near Castleton, in the high peak part of the Peak District. Hello, my name's Peter Naldrit. I'm the author of the Trigpoint Walks in the Peak District series. Today I'm going to share with you a walk that goes up to the summit of Mam Tor from Edale. Now, one of the most dramatic landscapes in the country, let alone in the Peak District, can be found at the foot of Mam Tor. The reason for this is the large landslip, which has left a 65 metre tall scar in the side of Mam Tor, high above the A625 road. At one time, the A625 was the main link between Castleton and Manchester on the other side of the Pennines. But that all changed in 1979, when a large landslip crippled the road and made it impassable to traffic. Repairs to the road were deemed too expensive and so the road remains in the dramatic cracked condition that nature left it in. The debris that fell in the landscape can easily be spotted around the area. Today, if you're driving in the area from Castleton over the Pennines, you've got to wind your way up the steep Winnitz Pass. At the trig point on the top of Mamto, you're going to be standing 600 metres above sea level and close to the earthworks of an Iron Age fort that was more than likely used to help locals escape and seek shelter during times of conflict. The makeup of Mamto is the reason for the famous landslip. The alternating layers of sandstone and shale helped to create the instability, especially after heavy rain. The, the map that you'll need for this walk is a Land Ranger 110 or the um, Outdoor Leisure 24. It's a three and a half mile walk. It'll take you about an hour and a half. You'll be climbing up 299 metres and there's some initially steep climbs. Your starting point is the car park at Edale and the grid reference is SK124853. Now the route from the starting point at the main car park at Edale 
just a bit of a warning it can quickly fill up uh, busy weekends and any time during the year really so it's advisable to get there in good time leave the car park by the main entrance turn left onto the main road where you'll get a good view of Mamtor high off to the right continue along this road until you see a public footpath on the right which is signed to Hollins Cross and take this new route carrying on along this path climb over two stiles and head past a farm building on the right before you get to the next farm building there's a footpath sign which sends you off to the right and take this path up the hill passing through a gate in the wall on the way the path meets an intersection on the way to the top where you follow the route left to the top of the hill here as well as the fine views you'll also find a memorial stone and you then need to turn right along the stone path which heads to Mamtor. After walking through a gate the path takes you up to the trig point where you'll be able to enjoy fine views of Hope Valley. Continuing on the path past the trig point you should drop down to the road and once at the road turn right along it up the slope. The road bends round and soon you'll see a bus stop on the right with a gate and you need to go through that. Immediately after the gate a path on the left heads directly down the hill and this is the one to follow heading through two gates and continuing along the path. Soon after look out for a gate on the left marked private and shortly after this you'll see another gate on the same side and that's the one that you go through following the sign to Edale which takes you right down a concrete track. At the bottom of the track the route turns right and onto the road and it continues until you're back at the car park where you started which you'll find on the left. You can get the train to Weedale also the train station is near to the car park but when you're at the top of Mamtor standing at the trig point have a look see if you can see any of the trig points either at Bradwell Moor, Edale Moor or Brown Knoll should be able to see those on the surrounding hills. And there's links to Peter's blog and his books on the show notes to this edition of the podcast on our blog, which you can get to by clicking through from our homepage at walksaroundbutton.co.uk or going direct to blog.walksaroundbutton.co.uk. There you can also see Leah's video walk to a rather snowy Mamtor. Now the start of March sees the Sheffield Adventure Film Festival in full swing, and this year they've teamed up with My Outdoors, the online outdoors news and reviews magazine, to present the biggest ever photo exhibition in the eight years of the festival's history. In the middle of February, I made the long journey from Doncaster to Sheffield to lend a bit of a hand to My Outdoors managing editor Dave Mycroft as he organised the exhibition, and he gave me the opportunity to have a chat to Andy Leader. Now, Andy is a bit different from the usual landscape photographers, as he specialises in the scenes of the Pennines around Homefirth, Marsden and the north part of the Dark Peak. Andy, it's great to see you today. Tell me more about your photos. I have basically brought a selection of pictures from the Home Valley, all bar one. Um, I live in Homefirth and most of the work I do with photography is within four or five miles of, of my house, basically. Um, and I revisit the places over and over again. I do a lot of local walking, and I've worked 
worked in that valley for 20 years as a rights away officer so I know it really well and the kind of photography's come out of that really. How did you first get into photography? I've always taken a point and shoot camera with me and was forever disappointed with it and four years ago we got a, a second hand Jack Russell off some friends of ours and a second hand SLR camera um, which is a big clunky thing, really old um, and I just trial and error started with that and lo and behold eventually I, came, I was coming home with stuff that I was really happy with and it just grew from there basically and I made a decision early on that I wasn't going to just take photos and keep them on the computer or anything I was going to show people them because I've always had this thing about wanting to bring something of the hills back and show other people you know Was the photography brought about by the job that you were doing? I've earned my living from the outdoors all my life. I've worked in forestry, um, I've been a farm labourer, I've worked as a, on the Pennine Way as a contractor and then eventually as a rights-of-way officer. Uh, and I've just got a really strong connection with the outdoors. Uh, every day I'm outside and if, I'm, if I miss a day or two, I'm grumpy. You know, you've got to be out there and I love to see the way things change. You know, I go back and back to the same places, yet it's never the same twice, ever. If you look, if you really look at it, it's different every time, you know. And that's the thing about being a photographer, isn't it? It's about having the, the eye to see past what, what's obvious to everybody else. Yeah, and that, I've got even sort of more into that since I picked up the camera because I'm always looking, I'm always looking um, at subtle things, you know, depending on the time of year, the time of day, the weather, a splash of light here, just the way a gate post is or en anything because um, the Home Valley, it's kind of, it's not the Lake District or the west coast of Scotland. It's a very, very subtle landscape and the moors are quite sour. Um, and it takes something, a special bit of light or weather or the, the season to, to lift it and make it something special. Because the moors aren't really everybody's cup of tea, are they? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm from, the, I'm from the North Riding of Yorkshire, North Yorkshire Moors. When I came down to West Yorkshire 20 years ago, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was proper grim, you know. And the moorland was peaty and sour and undefined. Very, it took me a long time to get to know it, you know. And it's only through going out again and again, and because I had to, because of work, that um, I, it grew on me. But it was a very slow process, I must admit. And in your photography, you've managed to capture a deeper essence of it. I, I hope so, yeah, I really hope so. Um, I sell most of my uh, stuff locally. There's a real demand for it. The visitors to Homeforth aren't interesting, but the local people, I often find them picking up a print at a market or something and saying, is that, well, I've never seen it look like that before. You know, what time of day was that? When were you up there, you know? Have you done something on the computer with it? Well, I don't really do that, you know, I wait until it happens, you know, and I'm prepared to go somewhere every day for a week or a fortnight or once a month somewhere until something happens, you know. Uh, and when it does happen, it really is spectacular, or it can be. So do you go on walks now and look out for various areas and aspects of the countryside and then you go back there on a different day and, and find out how it's going to look? Yeah, I've, I've found, I try to just say I'm off, I'm off out for a walk for two or three hours or the afternoon or the day and I'm just going to take the camera and see what I come across. Um, but now if the weather's a certain way or it's a certain time of year or day, I'll think, oh, I'll nip up West Nab because it's great up there on an evening. You look west all the way, almost to the Lake District, you know, and the sun sets up there in the summer. 
Um, so that is kind of, the camera does kind of influence where I go now, definitely, a little bit, yeah. And what sort of equipment do you use? I originally had a, a second-hand Canon Digital Rebel, 6 megapixels, which isn't a lot, I understand. I'm not very technical. I traded that in for another second-hand camera, a Canon EOS um, SLR, and I have a, a, a tripod. I use the kit lens and... I've got an 80mm lens and, and that's it really. I'm not big on technology. Um, I understand the very basics of the light coming into something that's sensitive to light and you know the aperture controlling that and I don't, I don't feel I need to know anymore really. You know, I'd rather just be out there experiencing it and, uh, and catching it as it happens rather than being sat at a computer or reading a camera magazine kind of thing. Andy, many thanks for joining us. Cheers, thank you. And that photo exhibition is on until the 8th of March in the Workstation, which is next door to the Showroom Cinema in Sheffield. Details are on our blog. Now, later this month, the team are travelling down to Exmoor to film a video walk to promote the North Devon and Exmoor Walking Festival, which is running between the 27th of April and the 6th of May 2013. So I thought it would be a good idea to find out some more about the Exmoor National Park before we made our trip. And who better to talk to than our hosts, Exmoor House? And Rosie Davis is on the line now. Hello there, Rosie. Tell us about Exmoor. In general, I'd say Exmoor needs to be much better known because it is an absolutely beautiful area. Loads and loads of variety of scenery, loads of great walks, cycle rides, lots to see and do. Where we are is a small village called Wedden Cross, which is actually the highest village on Exmoor. And it's more or less in the centre of the national parks. It's a really good location for getting out and about and seeing everything. Exmoor is one of the least known national parks. Yeah. Tell us about the, the type of landscape it covers. We've got coastal scenery, some of the highest cliffs in the country, sort of quite remote. We've got moorland, a lot of farmland as well. We've got woods you know, quite heavily wooded and forested areas. So it's, there's a huge variety. So what walking is available in the area? Right, well, going through our village is the Coleridge Way, which is about 36 miles long footpath. So you can do that in two, three, four days, perhaps. And that goes from Leatherstowey in the Quantock, and it finishes at Porlock, which is just near the coast. So it's about 36 miles long. So that's a, a longish distance walk. Okay. That passes through our village. And also we're about one of, about three miles from Dunkery Beacon, so you can do that, which is the highest point on Exmoor. So you can do various walks from here to there, um, anything from about eight miles to, well, about 20 miles if you wanted to. You can walk from here down to the coast. The southwest coastal path starts in Minehead as well, which is about 10 miles from where we are. We haven't done much of the southwest coastal path ourselves. We've done some bits from Minehead, which is pretty spectacular. We, we have actually done some in Cornwall as well, but we haven't done a lot of that particular of the, of the coastal path ourselves. I suppose when you live right next to it, you can always go out and do it eventually. Yes. Well, it's also, of course, we do dinners as well as bed and breakfast. So quite often we're working 15-hour days, so it's, it's a question of time as well. Yes, that doesn't give you a lot of time to get out, does it? No, we, you sort of take your chances when you can. So that is two long-distance paths there. What, what kind of shorter routes are around? What can you recommend? Right, well, I mentioned the walk up to Dunkery Beacon from here, highest point on Exmoor. You can do... 
circular walks up there's quite a nice little village called Luxborough there's a good circular walk you can do to there and back shorter walks down through the woods okay and back up again there's also snowdrop valley very close to here which is exactly what it says it is and <laughs> it's fantastic when all the snowdrops are out but really pretty at any time of year and that's probably you can do again a number of circular walks taking in the valley and also the two moors way is nearby yes that passes fairly close to us and um, part of the samaritans way too now lots of walkers are interested in heritage railways as well and one of the best is not too far away. There's the West Somerset Railway, that go, which is one of the longest, actually. It's a bit over 20 miles. Um, yes. And that goes from between Minehead and Bishop's Lydiard. And there's some great walking around the line, too. There are, actually, yes. We've done quite a few along there. You can walk um, most of the stations. You can do a sort of station-to-station walk, so get a ticket, hop off at one station and walk to the next. And, and some good circular walks from the stations as well. As well as national park status, quite a bit of the area is designated triple SI and area of outstanding natural beauty. There's the Quantox, which is slightly outside the national park area, outstanding natural beauty. There's the Brendan Hills, which are not very far from us at all, which are absolutely beautiful as well. So if people want to find out more information to come to you, where can they go on the web? Um, well, our website is exmoorhotel.co.uk. And we constantly update that, and we've got information about walks and things to see and do, as well as about us and the lovely food we do. That sounds fantastic. And there's nothing better than having a great meal after a strenuous walk, is there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we've got a lovely guest sitting room with an honesty bar, nice wine list. And we do a lot of dinner, bed and breakfast packages, which get cheaper per night, according to how many nights you stay. And about, about 80% of our guests have dinner with us. So that's a great way of making sure that all your accommodation and food needs are catered for while you are out walking. Yeah, absolutely. Rosie, thanks for coming on our podcast. OK, thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. And you can find links, photos and eventually the resulting finished video of our trip to Exmoor on our blog at blog.walksaroundbritain.co.uk. And if you're a bit flummoxed as to what triple SI and areas of outstanding natural beauty actually are... Now there's a handy guide to all the various protected lands and the various designations on our website at walksroundbritain.co.uk. Now last year, during the several days of hot weather that we did actually have, I unfortunately subjected my fellow walkers to the sight of me wearing shorts whilst out hiking. And coming back after those treks out, I noticed my lower legs were covered in nettle stings and bramble implants. Now, I didn't really think much of it at the time until I recently heard an edition of BBC Radio 4's Costing the Earth series, which investigated the apparent increase of invasive species like nettles and brambles throughout our countryside. And I'm pleased to say the presenter of the programme, Tom Heap, joins me now from the BBC studios in Birmingham. Tom, many thanks for being with us. So did you have the same problem last year with badly stung legs whilst out walking? Well, there were really two motives for taking out the programme. One, as you say, was a personal experience of particularly last year feeling that when you were going out walking or uh, particularly I occasionally do some some sort of cross-country jogging that your legs were coming back sort of lacerated and stinging it was all kind of you know came back with sort of hot hot ankles from from what was going on and I thought why why is this what's going on here and 
Um, I, I think it was partly that the wet summer we had. Now, I'm no expert botanist, but people tell me that the absence of, of water is usually a limiting effect on growth. And seeing as we had no absence of water last year, um, that limit wasn't there. Um, uh, but, but I was also thought there must be more to it than that. And I must say the other thing was actually when I was filming a country file program, we're interviewing a botanist about a completely different subject. And he said to me, uh, you know, we just got chatting off, off camera and uh, about other stories and about other things happening in Britain's countryside. And he said to me, you really should have a look at the issue of British domestic invasive species, because in his view, they were far more of an issue than alien invasives of which we hear a lot about. And it seems that most of the focus is on plant life, which has been brought into Britain, and then they push our native species out. And yet some of our indigenous plants are, are just as bad. Well, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And of course, it, it's difficult to talk about this with, without <laughs> um, being reminded of what often happens in the human or social sphere, if you like. Uh, we see, uh, we blame bad things from the outside much more readily than we see our own homegrown threats or our own homegrown issues. And I think the same is true broadly of plants. I mean, the, the figures are pretty undeniable. I mean, one of the ones that we discovered in, in doing the programme is that the the uh, mean area, the average area under nettles and brambles is thought to have doubled between 1990 and 2007. That's an amazing well, that's, figure. That's really, a, it's an astonishing statistic. And, and um, uh, really does show that, that um, these plants are doing very well and growing very rapidly. And that is a far greater area growth by many many orders of magnitude than you'd ever have uh, covered by um, you know Japanese knotweed or Himalayan balsam or rhododendron or any of the, the, the other invasives of which, alien invasives of which we hear so much about. And also local plant life will be eventually forced out by these invasive species. Yes that's I think where it really matters apart from just uh, the maybe unsightliness or discomfort of brambles and nettles and, and other such plants. They're also referred to as bullies by botanists because they basically uh, outcompete some of our more fragile and unusual domestic species and therefore lead to a less rich biodiversity. And that is a rich biodiversity is important not only for aesthetic grounds and sort of scientific grounds, but it's also important just for maintaining the vigor of our natural environment. And unfortunately, a lot of these plants are being pushed out of the way by these so-called thuggish species. And I think the other interesting thing is why these thuggish species are doing so well. So is it, in the end, the fault of humans? Well... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the landscape has, has been... I mean, it's all our fault insofar as, the, you know, the British landscape has been human under human management for probably many millennia now in one form or another. So, yes, we largely control what grows there and what doesn't. Now, what's happening with these species is, is a, a mixture of things. Both nettles, brambles in particular, thrive in... Uh, fertile soils and the runoff from agricultural fields of fertilizers into our margins is making them a much more fertile environment where they can do well it, it, it's, it's a it's a a theater in which they thrive and can do better than other species which are adapted for low nutrient environments um 
the other thing is actually some of that uh some of our rain uh, simply because of the pollution the, the rain itself is like a very mild fertilizer and so that is fertilizing a lot of areas that that weren't fertilized before and then i think there's issues of management there just aren't the workforce there aren't the people in so many rural areas who would have had as part of their role you know to, to pull bracken or, or, or cut brambles or hold back uh, stinging nettles uh it's just not being managed in the same hands-on labor-intensive kind of way is it the same all across britain um there are it, it does vary a little bit across britain i mean it, clearly in some of the uh uh, more intensively farmed eastern areas you perhaps haven't got the area uh, the scope for growth of these plants and to, to the same extent uh, but they are growing in all areas and the program is still available to listen to on bbc iplayer isn't it yes you you can find the program on bbc iplayer or you can uh, type in costing the earth into a search engine and that will take you there and um it, it really was a, a a revelation to make and uh, fascinating i found all these different areas and all these different habitats where the thugs are rather bullying in the playground of our natural environment tom many thanks for coming on our podcast thank you and i can heartily recommend having a listen to that edition it's called when nettles attack and there's a direct link on the show notes from this edition of the podcast on our blog Well, that's another podcast finished. We really hope you're enjoying them. And if you've got a comment or suggestion about topics that we could cover in future editions, please email us at podcast at walksaroundbritain.co.uk. And don't forget, you can subscribe to us on iTunes so that you get us every month. I say every month, but again, we've had too much to squeeze into this edition. So there's another one later on in March too. So until then, thanks for listening and happy walking. <laughs>